Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. This is the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast, and this is episode number 77. Greetings from Jakarta. I am still in Jakarta. I'm now in a new place, kind of in between central and western Jakarta. I'm in a co-living space, which is really pretty sweet. Uh, I got this through Airbnb, so I've got a room, and I have my own little kitchen area. But then there's a shared kitchen and a shared living space. The kitchen is stocked with eggs and bread and milk and coffee that anybody in this little community can have, which is awesome. There's a pool. There's a a gym. There is a co-working space, which I'm really excited about and will be really beneficial for getting my future podcast episodes recorded while I'm here. I don't know if this is a common trend with these co-living spaces in other countries or even other places in Indonesia. You listener, you probably know much better than I do, but I'm pretty stoked about this place. All right. Today's episode is with Ika Vantiani. She is an artist who does work with collages. She creates zines. She's a curator of art exhibitions. Uh, Often her art and the art that she's involved in tackles issues like sexual abuse, queer culture, gender identity, and feminism. Now, I'll say at the outset that, first of all, I love Indonesia. I know that Ika loves Indonesia. And probably the last thing that you want to hear is some Western guy's opinion of if something within Indonesian culture or politics or society is moral and ethical. I totally get that. Um, so yeah, I try to be a listener to her story while interjecting when there are things that I think are appropriate for me to interject. Now, to me, art should never really be safe and kind of fluffy. Uh, it's something that I think can be really effective in bringing attention to issues, in creating a dialogue, in creating a discussion. And I love that about Ika and the art that she creates. Now, I'll give like sort of an example, and sorry to any Maroon 5 fans, but I keep hearing this band, you know who Maroon 5 is, everyone around the world does, but I hear them everywhere. Like I hear them in Indonesian cabs, I hear them in restaurants in Malaysia, I hear them in Brunei. It's it, ubiquitous, it's everywhere. To me, it's like the safest, most formulaic form of art. Uh, Again, apologies. I know they're quite successful. But it it sort of lacks any sort of soul. It doesn't, you know, go out on any ledges and take any chances. It's really just, it's bubblegum. It's it's, it's fluff. And that's that's not the kind of of art that I like. Um, So... I love that Ika is sort of challenging norms, challenging rules, um, helping to raise discussions about things that are going on in Indonesia and things that are going on in the greater world. I think that's really important. I think without those types of discussions, you can head into dangerous territory. If you sort of just comply with everything that you're told and you hear and sort of like the, the hegemonic cultural structures then and things and things go go badly, or no one speaks up. We've seen 
throughout history where that can go. I'm not saying that that's the situation here in Indonesia, but I think it's important that someone like Ika exists to help bring these types of discussions to light. Okay, so I will have Ika's information in the show notes for this episode. You can check that out if you want to get in touch with her or see what she's working on currently or check out one of the exhibitions that she is part of. Okay, folks, enjoy this one. person who feel that if I found something like very interesting and very engaging and it inspires me it makes me want to stay there stay there you know what I mean mm. so I'm just like gonna follow it up like just follow it up where it takes me so during my working days at the agency I do this block hopping and some of my friends said you should check it out this artist and It was 2008. And I said, yeah, I think I can do that. So I started making art after office for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. <laughs> and that's the thing I know. Um, when I was about, I think I started leaving office in 2009. Yeah, that's the first time I'm actually leaving office, 2009. Uh, but then, yeah, at the same time, then I decide to also taking my art seriously, if you know what I mean. I decide to actually like doing a, an exhibition, making a workshop with some friends. and mm. But at the same time, it's interesting that because I start everything in Etsy, you know Etsy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I start everything in Etsy. Um, I think if I didn't start from Itsy back then, I might not be this confidence to be an artist, if you know what I mean. Because mm -hmm. at that time, um, when I started making collage and I sell some of my collage in Itsy and I get this um, exposure and artist friends from US and they asked me to have an exhibition and I said, like, oh, wow, I would never thought it will be this positive and this supportive. Yeah. So I said to myself, hey, maybe I could, you know, see it like more than what just see it as a hobby, for example. Right. So that's what happened. So since I start everything pretty much see making collages as an art making in 2008, I start my, I opened my Etsy shop in 2009. And then I started when I have an exhibition, have a workshop, join in, Uh, art bazaar and everything, everything since back then. I'm still at the office. I'm yeah. still having my office days. But then from there, I slowly like find myself going towards that art direction. And um, I quit office in 2009, but I'm still doing some freelance in agency until 2012. 2012, uh, at that time, I started getting lots of invitations for exhibitions and everything. And finally, I said to myself, okay, after this, I'm not going to go back to the agency office kind of job anymore and would like to focus myself more into the art and culture work. So since then, 
I'm doing a lot of work in that art and culture department and, you know, variety of works as a freelancer. Mm. My background is actually communications. I graduate from London Communications of Internationals. And so pretty much the variety of work that I do now, actually a part of being an artist and I curate and I'm, I'm doing craft and workshops is also uh, organize uh, art events, doing cultural activities, you know, um, support other artists with their projects. Let's say there's an international artist doing a project in Indonesia. So I help them like manage the work here, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So since 2012, then I like focus on more like art and culture kind of work, but in a variety of. How would you rate? Um, so basically more and more as I travel, I'm seeing people sort of go this route where they're pursuing jobs that are more aligned with their passions than just taking a career type of a job just mm-hmm. for the security and the safety of it. Mm-hmm. Like, how would you rate your own personal happiness transitioning from that sort of, you know, it sounds weird saying professional because you are, you can be a professional artist, but you know what I mean, I think. Yeah. Like, going from that type of a world into the into the art world. Um, wow. Uh, that's a very interesting question. I think... Um, when I work in advertising, because at the time, I'm a copywriter at that time. Uh-huh. I love writing. To me, when I'm working in advertising, being a copywriter, I still remember how excited I am actually to go to work and make ads. And oh, really? Write. Yeah. I really didn't realize my job because I love writing. And this yeah. is like pretty much when you're a copywriter and you work in an agency with this variety of clients, you have pretty much having fun with whatever you write, whatever ideas you have. You have school friends and your travels and everything. But at the same time, I found that the idea of being a creative, we call ourselves creative mm. agency because we're in a creative department. The idea of being creative and you get paid every single day, yeah. four hours a day, <laughs> <laughs> then you get money at the end of the month. And anytime your client calls you and asks you to be creative and you have to be creative, yeah. That is exhausted. Like, that's exhaustion. That was like really burned me out really fast. So it's really interesting that when I get paid to be creative that way, I don't think I can be that creative. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean, right? But now I can decide when I want to be creative, when I just don't feel like I want to be creative. Yeah. And, and the whole idea when I found that... I'm so much into art and craft and decide that, oh, I think I want to make, I think I want to do this for a living. Or like, I think I want to live out of making art and craft for the rest of my life. To me personally, it's more, it's beyond about being happy, but I think it's more about being me. Like the way I found myself, Ika is actually somebody or a human being who actually is so much into art. Making art is actually, is Ika's identity as a human being. Mm-hmm. So I think it's no longer about a job or is this job make me happy or that job doesn't make me happy. I feel that I am a happy worker and I'm in an agency being a copywriter working in an art advertising agency. But if the question is, how about me now? Like as an art worker, how do I feel? Gito? I, I think that... I'm beyond happy because this is pretty much me being myself yeah. every day. So I think that's the difference. Did you grow up in Jakarta? Yes. Now, I know we were talking about your transition into this world 
in terms of your life somewhat recently, when you were young, like uh, grade school, high school, mm-hmm. were you interested in art then? Were you involved in being creative? I think when I try to remember back then, uh, apparently I do, apparently I love craft. Every time I have, we have this craft uh, session in my high school or elementary school, or even like when I'm still in elementary school, I think, and there's always been this craft classes and the teacher asks us to make something at the end of the day. And I always like try to make it, at home myself that part and one of the time the the most obvious uh, memory is actually when I with the, with the support of my mom and my aunties is actually I started selling some of my craft mm. I remember how to me apparently that's the first time maybe I should have known that oh I love making craft uh, it's, it's so interesting even the whole idea of after school, I'm going to go get some uh, stuff at the craft supply shop. It's like, it's really excite me. Yeah. So I think uh, I wouldn't even call myself, let's say, I, I don't think I raised from an artsy family, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But I do realize that I've been having that moment in my life from a young, really young age where, oh yeah, I think I like, I like craft. I like craft a lot. And then slowly... When I then, I mean, I mean, if you work in an agency, being creative, you pretty much feel like you are an art person in a way because mm. you're exposed to a lot of designs and creativity and you know that kind of stuff. But then, being a being a, I think art worker, you do something with your hands, making stuff, being a crafter, an artist, and everything. It's actually it's different, right? So yeah. yes, I think I maybe I start really early, like elementary school. To that point that you just made, um, I would not call myself an artist, uh, but I always sort of felt like I was on the outside of sort of like mainstream cultural groups when I was younger. Mm -hmm. And the first time I really felt like I fit into something was when I found like um, music, punk music and going to shows and things like that. And simultaneously, I took uh, a film class in school and a photography class in school and like all of a sudden, I was part of a group, uh, a subculture, so people who were interested in the things I was interested in. Um, I, what is that situation like in Indonesia or in Jakarta specifically? Mm. Was it? Are there are there artist groups? Is it easy to find a niche? Is there like a, a supportive network of artists working in Jakarta? Oh, okay. Um, I think I'm one of the lucky ones to so the story is like this in, since 2000 2000 I'm, I'm starting to make my own zine oh cool and I established my own zine distribution in 2001 uh, at that time uh, I realized that although we do have several uh, zine distribution channel or some people who actually distribute zines, a part of making zines. Mm, but I think at that time, the way I do it, it's so different than the rest of the kids because I do also several campaigns on zine making, on what 
or or how could, zine could mean so much more than just a media. Mm. Or I I offer some of my friends who loves to write to publish their zines under my distribution, that kind of stuff. And then this one uh, art collective in Jakarta, they invite me to do stuff with them, to have an exhibition, to showcase my distribution and my zines and everything. So I think it's from that moment I actually exposed myself to that art collective, and they're like they're like they called Ruang Rupa. If you ever heard of it? Oh no! Yeah, they're like I think one of the most active and busiest art. Uh, artist-run space now really? in Indonesia, in Jakarta. So they start to ask me out to join in some of their events. They even the one who actually then offer me opportunity to be a curator, to join an art res- artist residency at their space. And they ask me to join in some exhibitions, which is, to me personally, at the time, I would never see myself as an artist, but I could totally in a way feel like oh yeah we connect we click this way because what i do with what i do with my zines with with this hardcore punk kids so you know making zines and everything and things that they do we're pretty much have the similarities or the spirit yes. you know or the message or the approach to it the creativity and everything so i think i'm the one which is very lucky because from it was i think it's it's 2000 since 2006 is it and when I start to get uh, to know them well and then, then I met other of course artist collective and I met another uh, punk collectives and everything but at the same time I think since then I get a lot of opportunities I get a lot of uh, connections and networks to join in more and more to the art that's great activity in Jakarta so um, people that listen to the podcast they come from all different, okay. you know, interest groups and, and places and things like that. So I'll clarify uh, in that within zines, you can have a zine that's poetry, um, but you can also have zines that are really informational. Um, so things talking about identity, um, sexual wellness, politics, and often there's the need for that type of content because. Um, the people who are going to be reading and purchasing these zines feel like they're not getting it from mainstream media or mainstream writers and things like that. And because of that, uh, it can be seen as a bit subversive. It's a, it can be a countercultural thing, a subculture. Mm-hmm. Um, here in Indonesia, how does that sort of fit into mainstream culture? Is, is the, is this looked down upon? Is this existing in like, you know, you're passing out zines at underground shows. Is it out in the public? Oh, okay. I think it's it's good that you ask this question like now, mm. because I've been I've been I've been doing zines since 2000, so I've been noticing like the, let's say when it was the first time, for example, zines actually. Uh, we in Jakarta, these punk kids actually get zines and read and make and make them. Mm. I realized that it was in late 90s when some of these uh, left punk political bands are exposed to this idea of a zines and they're making like some comic zines. And the first time I even read my own friend's zine, it was 2000, 2000, yeah. And I remember that at that time I started writing about punks like I just write about them I just like I don't know how to publish it and I don't like who's gonna read it but then 
as soon as I found out about, oh, I can actually, after seeing some of those in, I said, oh, actually, I can. I can publish it myself. I can distribute it myself. I can even put my writings on it. So at the same time, I remember that Jakarta, Bandung, Bandung is this area next to Jakarta, and we have a very active zine scene inside of the DIY hardcore punk community at that time. Uh, most of the zines, uh, obviously music and politics, that's it. Yeah. Photocopied, black and white, uh, anger, anti this, anti that, and a very rare female editor. Mm. I think I remember I'm the second female zine editor in Jakarta. And I remember that uh, my zine seemed to be look as what do I, how do I call it? I think I'm making I might be making the first personal zine mm. there during that time. And when you've been exposed yourself to only music and political zines and seeing personal zine like what I did at the time, people like who who is this person? Who who is the person actually write about all of these? Uh, and and what were you writing about? Punk, queer, mm. uh, consumerism, art, and parents. Um, Underground community, yeah, school, you know, pretty much like things that I feel like just have to get out of my chest, just mm-hmm. pretty much talk about boys and everything. But this, and, and I also talk about being an eco, eco, eco punk is about, yeah. So, I think at that time, uh, a part of, oh wow, you're a girl, <laughs> that fact where people like, wow, I would never thought that you were a girl when they found me that I'm a girl. But at the same time, the things that I talk about is not the kind of things that they mostly talk about in the zines at that time. So I think from 2000 until about 2006, uh, we have still mostly have that kind of zines, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Personally, I think we are not having that many of variety of the genre of the zine itself here in Indonesia. Although I do realize that if you go to big cities and once you know that there's this hardcore punk community there, they mostly have their own zines. Yeah. But the kind of um, topics, the kind of conversations is mostly not out of this music and politics and mostly left this politics. Uh, so, but then slowly there are more girls actually making zines, talk about personal stuff, which is, that's really good. More guys <coughs> making a poetry zines, which is, that's really awesome too. And also I think that not until five years ago, I think that we s- start to have zines outside of the black and white Xerox photography, hardcore punk kind of styles of zines in Indonesia. Because then start, we have this zine, which is in color, lots of art fanzines and photography fanzine. And even for the last five years, I think more and more people in Jakarta, Indonesia, they explore zines, which I think actually, I wish they have been explored that kind of zine way back. But I also understand that the whole idea of the zine itself is never actually out of the community of the hardcore punk kids. Yeah. It becomes the idea itself that you can make your own media and you could actually have your own magazine and everything. It becomes something that only appealing to like just niche, just like some 
just like some circle of friends or circle of community. Like I noticed at that time, let's say some art school kids make their own zines, just it's supposed to be very cool, but they never get out of their campus. So we never actually get that kind of knowledge. But then it's only like for the last yeah three years, I think now I noticed that uh, we are back in another wave of zines, but now is much more creative, design oriented, well-made, um, kind of zine which is as even better mm. so i've i think i've seen the changes from 2000 until today seeing if we talk about zines itself now how the idea now is finally out of the community of the hardcore punk it's now like everyone made their own zines, which is that's really good yeah mm-hmm. wow well so you touched on a couple things and one of the reasons that i messaged you was first i thought that the the content that you were creating was really cool I also thought that like, it's weird. I actually think Instagram can be a really good thing. Uh, it's been great for the podcast in uh, in terms of being able to meet people. But you, your your Instagram account is you're a curator of sorts in that you're constantly linking to other artists and other people here in Jakarta and exhibitions that are going on. So you could kind of go down a rabbit hole of like finding different cool <laughs> things here in Jakarta, and that was exciting. <laughs> Um, but you also are involved in art and in exhibitions that touch on a lot of heavy topics. This is going to be a long point, so bear with me. Okay. Um, so obviously I'm traveling a lot. Yeah. And when I go places, I see things that I want to talk about. I see things that sometimes I think are uh, unjust maybe. And I'll give an example. Um in, I was in Sri Lanka and we, I did an episode with somebody who's working uh, with Child Action Lanka and they're looking to help homeless youth and street kids uh, to give them education and um, healthcare and food and to get them on the right trajectory so that they can be successful. And there's a segment of the population that thinks that uh, because there's still a strong belief in reincarnation that those kids deserve to be on the street because in their past life, they've done something wrong. Now, I am a, I'm a bule. I'm a white American male who's in another country and I cannot tell you what to believe and I want to respect your religion. But at the same time, a part of me just thinks that's so wrong to allow a child to suffer. Um, so it's a tricky place for me to be in. Uh, but So I'm very happy and honored when I can talk to people about these things and uh, maybe show me that I'm wrong or uh, to have these discussions about heavy topics that are really hard to navigate. Um, so I, I say that long thing to say some of these might be uh, touchy subjects or tough subjects. Uh, so we we don't have to dive too deep if if it's if it's too much or mm. um, hold on. I've got some notes here for because okay. I was going through all this cool stuff last night that you have. <laughs> okay, so uh, one of the things we even we we texted about a little bit. Um, is um, gender and perceived gender roles in the history of Jakarta. And you mentioned right off the bat that you people were surprised. That, oh, there's, there's a woman who's putting out a zine, right? <laughs> um, and I might, I might be totally wrong about this, but mm. um, it's a country with an established religion, um, which is Islam, mm-hmm. which... It takes many forms around the world. Um, I think the traditional perception is that it's heavily male-dominated. 
and at least from the older part of the culture, the role, as this has been the perception in many places around the world, is that you know women take care of the kids in the home and things like that. The very traditional yeah. viewpoint or model. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as as with many places, you now have uh, I don't just want to say a youth culture um, because sad to say I wouldn't call us youth anymore. Um, but um, with the onset of the internet and information and even zines and the access to education and knowledge and things like that, you have this movement of progressive ideas clashing against older held beliefs. Um, how is that playing out in Indonesia? Is there a struggle between viewpoints and beliefs? It's a very long question, but does that make sense to you? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. You, the question is, how does, in a daily practice, or how is it clash, and how is the, you know, like... Yeah, so maybe I'll, give, I'll be a little more uh, concrete about this. If you are, there's an exhibition that you're a part of called, and I have this here, House of the Unsilenced, uh -huh. right? Where artists are talking about um, sexual abuse. Uh, yeah. How are people taking that mm. in Jakarta? Are, mm. are, are people pushing back on this and saying... Like, yeah, yeah, we don't. We want women in their traditional place. Like, I have mm. this in quotes. This is not mm. my belief. Um, or are people accepting it and changing their viewpoints? And like, what is the art doing? Is it changing older held beliefs? Oh, okay. Well, maybe I have to talk a bit. Yeah, that was a lot. Art. I'm sorry. It's right. It's okay. I totally, I think I, I in a way... Okay, maybe I'm going to start with this kind of explanation. Okay. Um, I have this conversation also with my, some of my girlfriends regarding um, what is it like, what is it, what is it meant being a woman in Indonesia, for example? Yeah. What is it the difference between being a woman in US or in Europe or another part of the world? Um, the, the, way we, the way we observe ourselves as being a woman in Indonesia, for example, one of the challenge, let's say I would call it challenge, one of the challenge that we practically face daily, for example, um, which is most of them are like cultural-based kind of fact, which is we're born with it. We're born in it. We mm. just part of it. One of the example, for example, let's say we have something called Eastern culture. We call it Eastern culture. Yeah. Eastern culture is one of the examples for, for, let's say, uh, in Indonesian kids, your parents will never ask you to leave houses. Mm. You could stay with your parents until whenever you want. You can take your husband or wife or kids, stay with your parents. It's okay. They love that idea, actually. There's nobody who would gonna kick you out of the house and said, grown up and leave the house. No, there's no such a thing. Let's say that's one yeah. of the things. So that means also at the same time, you will always be perceived as owned by your parents, mm. right? Everything related to you is based on the approval of your parents. Yeah. It doesn't matter either you're like 38, 28, 48 years old. Right. You will always be the kid in the house, especially if you're women. Yeah you better stay at home. You get married, you can always come back home and let your mother, let's say, can care of the kids and everything. It's very common. Okay. It's not something that you would feel bad 
something, you know, to ask your parents and live with your parents. And it's okay. Hmm. I, I don't leave my parents' house until I'm 28. It's not because my parents asked me to leave the house, but mostly because I keep having fights with them. Hmm. Because I feel like, of course we keep having fights because after all these years, we grow into totally different person. They grow, make, I, I'm also growing and we have disagreements and to practically live in the same house, meet every single day. When we're having fights, it's not a good vibe around the house too, for example. That's as simple as that. So I have to leave. So I even left my house by the age of 28, which I might have been living in the house by the age of 20, for example. Right. But then there's no way my parents would ask me to leave. We love to have the kids around the house, for example. That's one. And second, for example, the religion, of course. The religion here is actually their divine, you know, the way people... What are you? That's the most, what is, what is your religion? That's the most common question now. Every mm. single person asks you that. What is your religion again? What is actually your religion? That's for everything you do. And it goes on your like national identity card here, right? Your government card, yeah. Even the artwork that they see. Oh, yeah. They ask the questions to the artist. So what is your religion to the artist after they see their work? Isn't that interesting? I see. So... Is that kind of layer of challenges of being, let's say, a woman in this country. There mm-hmm. are so many layers of that that we face daily. A part of, of course, it's a very patriarchal society where, yeah. where men is like the first and women's always been the second and less human uh, compared to the men. So I think there's a lot of um, layer of challenge that we have to navigate every day just to be able to get out of it in a way and be ourselves and divine ourselves as a woman. In day-to-day life, outside of those restrictions, expectations, you know, yeah. definition. So I think um, this has been hard, of course, obviously, it's been really hard. Um, if we, if we don't even have to talk about, let's say, like your question regarding, let's say, the, the, the topics of the exhibitions that I run, for example, is the heavy topics and everything. I think most of the time, me and my girlfriend said that even the fact being a woman itself actually very hard most of the time here. The way they divine the way we dress, the way they divine the way we yeah. with, the way they divine the kind of work that we have to, the, the way they divine you have to be home by 9 p.m. and you, you know, everything is divine by them and put on our self as a, as a, as a woman. So I think... Um, I think now also the most heaviest or is when the when when those um, value like those religion value those cultural value or those are being um, how would I call it being um, applied in every single element of our lives in. Uh, bigger and broader field than before. For example, I could let's say if we talk mm. about censorship, if we talk about censorship in television, for example, um, now they sense the, the television will censor they will censor animation. <clears throat> right. Five years ago, that never happened. Oh really? There's a newer really uh, I noticed, for example, uh, simple as school uniform. 
school uniform for female students been changed a lot, actually, for the last 10 years. It's getting more conservative? Mm. That, as a woman, of course I notice, because I've been to that situation before and after, so I know all these changes and how they really control this whole presence of a woman in our day-to-day life, if you know what I mean, even in that kind of uh, scope, in that kind of capacity, even schools and students and being the way they dress and everything. So I think we also have this very interesting conversations. Let's say as as simple as um, the idea of feminism, for example. Mm -hmm. It's still a very long way, obviously, to be able to... I think the most also heaviest part for me in daily conversations, if I, the one who come with an idea of, you know what, I have, let's say, I come to one of the men said, and one of the people has said, I have this belief that women is a human being, for example. And they quickly going to see me and said... What do you mean by that? I think, yeah, women as a human being as a whole, mm-hmm. their presence is not divine by the men in their life. With or without men, women is a woman, is a whole human being. Or without the other women, they're still as a They have the control from the way they're born to control whatever they're going to do with their lives. That conversation being raised during the last uh, exhibition that I did uh, a couple of weeks ago when I questioned the way they divine women in a Bahasa Indonesia dictionary. So I think 95% of people who come to the exhibition ask me, so have you checked out the male definition? Or have you checked out the other women definition? So it's interestingly for them, if we talk about women, we have to talk about the men. Right. There's no way to separate between women and men because without men, women are not complete. So the existence of women is entirely based on men. You know what I mean? There's no way to see women as just one single soul of a human being with or without presence of a man. There's still a human being to me personally. Or the other women. It's also interesting. The way we compare, apparently, you're a woman, you compare yourself with other women, or if you're a a woman, then you compare yourself to men. It's actually been taught since we were born. Yeah. The The fact that if you're a woman, everything you do, everything, is has to be by the approval of men in your life, or the elders, let's say your parents. So women never have been able to divine themselves as a human being because every time, every single thing they do is actually asking and seek for approval for other person in their lives except themselves. Mm. The men, the parents, the friends or whomever or the spouse. That I think says a lot about now how to me personally, let's say I've been really feeling that... um, one of the most difficult, I think, even to to support my friends, especially the other women, is actually to tell them that you are you, you are matters, and you are important as you, as human being, as one person. 
It doesn't matter what the men said, or it doesn't matter what your mom said, or it doesn't matter what your girlfriend said about you. You have the authority, you have the control to define yourself that way. It's been a very, you know what I mean, right? It's been a real little struggle because apparently we don't raise to be an independent, you know, self as a woman. So I think, um, especially gender, for example, I always talk about in most of my writings during my zines era and now I'm involved in several, let's say, LGBTQI communities, LGBTQI activism. I write about some of them before, even the first zine that I make also talk about queer. And it's interesting how I have this conversation with my mom. Um, I never, I never told my parents about my zine. Really? I, I never I never showed them my zines ever. I don't feel like they'll get that or I know that how different the way we see things. My mom is a very religious mm, person. Mm. And of course I know let's say her opinion about lots of stuff that I did back then. Oh, but one day it's interesting that I think she read some some of the articles that I wrote in my zine. And I remember that we have the conversation at the kitchen at my parents' house. And she suddenly said, why? Like, why you care that much about them? And to be specific, you're talking about people not on like the binary system of sexuality, but you're talking about queer culture and things like that. So your mom's asking you, why, why? do you care about people who are not, you know, heterosexual? Exactly. Okay. And uh, you know that they are sick people. Mm. That's her words. Uh, of course, it's not surprising to hear that from her, just to because she's really religious, and of, of course, according to her religion, this people are like sin makes sinful sinners. Yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> but then I said to my mom, "You know what, mom? Uh, I believe even if God thinks they are sinners, it's like that's their business with their gods." That's not my business. Mm -hmm. My business, when during this lifetime, when I'm friends with them, I want to support them. I want them to be also as happy as I am when they hang out with their lovers. I could hang out anytime, anywhere with my lovers and I'm fine with it. Why can't they? As simple as that, mom, I just want to create that space where I can make them as happy as I am. And... You know what she said? This is totally surprising. It's just I would never thought to, come out, to hear that come out of her. And she said, like, you know what, daughter? Maybe this is how, or maybe this is, this is your road to God. Mm. Isn't it interesting? There's a lot that I want to <laughs> unpack from. So, <laughs> let me try to organize my thoughts. I want to start with. Um, so you mentioned that you see a bit of an increase in censorship mm -hmm. and I've seen that too. That could be anything from, uh, the language used in like a, even a Hollywood movie at the theater mm -hmm. yep. or certain websites and things mm -hmm. like that. Um, and you mentioned, um, girls school uniforms mm -hmm. being more conservative. Mm -hmm. It, are those things increasing in your opinion as a reaction to people kind of waking up and, you know, the culture and the government are saying like, uh Oh, we need to keep people in the traditional ways? Like, why do you think those things are increasing? 
because the in because the this is I think it's a very political kind of uh-huh. background scape where those people who have this religious directions kind of agenda they get, they're putting those agenda into this country mm. so they put those religious rules in every single element they could put in our daily life that means everything mm. if i could if i see now the uniform of a school like for 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 female students now i i just told a couple of weeks ago by someone that the the way the rules of you know that in islam that you separate between the male and female right yes they now even apply that to a wedding really so if you go to separate a wedding sections exactly and they don't really care actually either you're a same religion or not you're a male you're going to be there you're female you're going to be there yeah that 5 years ago not happening really Wow. I mean it's that extreme, isn't it? Isn't it very interesting? And it's that definite is is that obvious. And it's even now dress code they put in the wedding invitation. Mm. If you're a female, you're expected to dressed in Yeah. A, which is that never happened before at all. It's interesting. I mean I, I want to say at the outset. I'm sure you love Indonesia. <laughs> I love coming to Indonesia. Um, I can I I think that's probably a really difficult thing to navigate. I'll give an example. Um, you know, even so, like like a a two piece two piece bathing suit is like it's so common in America. Like you go to the beach, women are wearing two piece bathing suits. Um, I have friends here. I've I've gone to the beaches, and the mentality, at least from one of my friends, was. Well, yeah, I'd like to wear a two-piece. Um, I'll be more comfortable. I like want to hang out with my friends from the West, but you know, I want I have to adhere to the culture. And I also think that there's almost like a guilt thing there, where it's like, well, I want to, you know, I'm proud of Indonesia. I'm proud to be from here, and I want to honor the culture. But I also want to be an individual, and it's that seems like a difficult thing to navigate. Like, don't upset my parents. Still be an individual. Still adhere to the rules of the society. Um, I would imagine that could be a, a quite stressful way to live. <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> um, it's it's getting heavier and heavier day by day now. Which is I'm I even like lost for well, lost for words already. I mean, me and lots of some lots of me and some lots of my girlfriends were like, we even like most of the time like have no idea anymore how to navigate this and mm. how to. Let's say if you go to if we go to war, if we go to war every day, if we go to war every day, there used to be like just one war, you know, like five wars, and we don't think that do we want to win them all? Do we have to win them all? Can we win them all? Because mm. a human being have limitations, and all this compromising that we've been doing, you know, little by little every day, it's increasing. It's, I think, the most. Um, Mm, one of the let's say campaign that I have is um, anti-dating campaign. Anti-dating. 
What is that? <laughs> so if you're, uh, sorry, the campaign is about this. You don't date. You go straight to marriage. That's where the culture is heading right now? That's the campaign that they have, one of the campaigns that they have. So they try to forbid people from dating. They're arranged marriages or? Arranged marriages is different. Okay. This is mainly talk about, especially for young teenagers, this one. Like in your 20s, in your 20s, for example, they're going to motivate you to just skip the dating part. Just go marry this person or whomever you want to get married. This actually promote young age marriage, yeah. which is actually that's very risky. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually that's what happened now. This kind of campaigns, we don't have this kind of campaigns five years ago, ten years ago. But now, according to religion where they believe that you have to go straight to marriage. Is that to, to prevent like sex out of wedlock or something? Uh She's nodding her head. <laughs> but that kind of, you know what I mean, right? So that yeah, kind of campaign okay. being applied to young people today. And there's no such a campaign five years like that before, mm. or 10 years. Like, oh, this is suddenly there's a lot of um, direction, like directed, you know what I mean, right? Yes. Lifestyle or life choices that all rooted back to that one particular religion. Approval tries. It's just that's also interesting. That never happened before. Even if of you notice the way women dressed, the way women, the way we are more cover, yeah cover the way I see more and more. Let's say which is I have nothing against women wearing hijab or anything. It's entirely their choice. Is the woman's choice to wear whatever they would like to wear, whatever skin or whatever they want to cover or they want to show. But it becomes a big problem now when other women, when one woman judge other women right. for the way they dressed. And that's exactly what happened every day, every time, online and offline. That is dangerous. And add another element um, that I've seen in many places in Southeast Asia, but the influence of Western culture on women's standards of beauty in the sense that um, women want to be lighter skinned. And so you can walk into um, a, a store here, a convenience store, an apotheca or whatever, mm. and there's skin whitening creams mm -hmm. because as, as I understand the perception, if you're a darker skinned Asian, it means that you had to be doing like labor and things like that. Like you're out in the sun all day. Um, which I think probably adds just another confusing element to navigating that landscape that we're talking about. Because again, too, it's like, no, you want to be proud of who you are. And then you have also these, you know, Western media influences as well. Um, yeah, this whole beauty business kind of brand, which is um, this whole idea of light skin, long hair, yeah. right? Uh Skinny, thin, you know, all this profiling of a, of a woman now is also switch more into also not only that, but also, of course, the way they dress. If you know, I mean, now it's like a package of it's no longer also about you have to be like light skin and 
Mm. It's kind of ridiculous sometimes to see some of them like scared of the sun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's. <laughs> I was like seeing some of my girlfriends said, "What are you doing? <laughs> I'm covering up. I'm covering up my skin with from the sun." And I said. Girl, this is like 10 a.m. in the morning and you covering yourself with raincoat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's, that's human. I think it a lot because, in, and I don't mean to offend people, but like I I die. I like I die in this heat and I'm out there in short sleeves and shorts just sweating and like I'll see someone with a heavy coat to, to not get sun and I'm just like, how, like, how, <laughs> how are you doing this right now? I know. In a way, like, well. Remember, try to. Yeah, okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I remember that one of the things also that we have another discussion, which is, I think, one of the most important element of, um, one of the biggest challenge for me to have a conversations or a discussion with other people that I think is the opposite of me as in terms of value and everything is. I don't feel like here in Indonesia we have um, a supportive or objective. Um, this is what I'm trying to say. If you disagree with me, and I would like to talk to you about it, it's not about at the end of the conversation. To me, it's not about you have to then change your opinion and agree with me. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. Disagreement is fine. I don't have a problem with disagreement. To me personally, the most important is to have that proper conversation about it. Why you are doing what you're doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? This here, that's getting really difficult to do that here. Most of the time... I think, I think honestly, that's a global problem right now. I think we have okay. that problem in the States too. Okay, because I quickly feel like either I'm being judged... You know, like, oh, you want to talk to me because you want to comfort me or you want to change me, right? And I said, no, I just want to tell you the reason why I'm doing this as much as I would like to listen why you're doing that. Right. I would like us, the two of us, to have a proper conversation and a healthy discussion. But most of the time, what I felt is more like they quickly shut me out or they quickly put a barrier and just like, no. I'm there's there's, there's two sides and there's no middle ground. That's That's a big problem right now in a lot of places, yeah. Exactly. I just said to also my friend, look, I'm not, I'm not, let's say, I'm not converting everybody. I'm not converting everyone to be a feminist. I'm not, I'm not mm. doing that. But I do would like to tell them, for example, why it matters. Why it matter? Why, why does it matter being a woman to me today? As simple as that. But then most people said, oh no, then you're going to talk about this. You're going to talk about that. And the last thing I know, you're going to turn me into feminist. No, I am not going to do that. You know, but I think it's, so just so difficult to come to the same level of conversations and discussion where the two people can have a proper and objective mm. discussion like this. Most of the time, I feel that online and offline, when I, when I try to initiate that kind of conversation, either they're going to quickly judge me and they're going to shut them like me out. Or like, so it's really difficult just to convey a message. A lot of important things to me personally, maybe because I have also a communication background, my study that there's a lot of message and ideas and thoughts just important in our daily life. But it the way it being communicated to other people is is really the wrong wrongly communicated or is just not effective or is just 
the environment is just not accommodative for such a communication. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. So most of the time I feel that as simple as, it's not as simple, but um, talk about art, for example. One of the, since I'm an art, I'm an art, I think that I would like to tell people why art matters. Why art matters in my daily life or in our daily life. Why it does matter and why everything involved in art is actually matters. The profession of an artist, to me personally, it knows no difference than a profession as a lawyer, for example. We have clients, we have deadlines, we have stress, we have staffs, we have bills to pay and everything. It's just the same. Or I think that um, to communicate that uh, things that intangible matters, you know what I mean, right? Atten- yeah. yeah. It's, it's one of the most difficult, you know, part in day-to-day conversation here now then plus the social media and everything became worsened but i think most of the lots of lots of things now in my day life as simple as um we talk about um, contraception it's just so difficult to have a proper just decent conversation about that because of that kind of an environment right they quickly get like no i'm not gonna talk about that and and just so um people understand because i think most listeners i'm lucky enough to have listeners from all over the world Mm -hmm. um the largest percentage coming from the states where okay it is very easy to get contraception in all of its forms and i know here certain types of contraception whether it be um like Plan B or even um, like an IUD are often reserved for people who are engaged or married or, or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so just so people understand, like it's a bit of a taboo subject here. Is that a fair way to? Yeah. Okay. Uh, because if you go to gynecologist, yeah, the first question is, are you married? Yeah. And then the service you get, services you get are based upon that answer you provide. Wow, yeah, that's I've, I've heard or, similar. Is your parents know you're here? Really, D- regardless of your age. <laughs> wow, yeah. So can you imagine, as the kind of like, can, so can you imagine if we as a woman we need to go to gynecologist, we need to have a regular checkup. Uh, the, the challenge, the barriers that we have to challenge daily just to have a proper you know check on our health uh, sexual reproduction health is that way if you go to apotheque to buy a condom ooh the way they're going to staring at you and giggle really? at you and like talk about you like as if you are like okay so i have a question for you um with the art that you're doing and that you're a part of and that you're curating um Again, like it is a bit subversive. It is going against some cultural norms. So is being a part of this or even having a conversation like this, is this a dangerous thing for you in Indonesia? Uh, depends. I think for having this conversation, it's fine because it's just like my opinion, my mm-hmm. stories and my knowledge and everything. Uh, unless I refer to Maybe unless I refer to certain kind of party, is it 
then it might be considered that Certain, way. Uh, you mean political party? Yeah. I see. Or, or a community of people or this very powerful kind okay. of person. Like that might be. Like get persecuted and all. Is yeah. that what you meant? But yeah. I, I think every time, let's say, I'm trying to raise the conversations of um, uh, something that considered taboo or with a high risk of being seen as... Yeah. Uh, Subversive or... It's more like... It reminds me of the project that I did in 2016. Me and some girlfriends, we in celebrations of International Women's Day, we have this project called My Body, My Authority, where we feature 22 women in a variety of backgrounds and age and nations and everything, showing their statements in their body or how they feel about their body. It's a, it's a clip. It's a video clip. Okay. Um, one of my friend who who sang the song, she got a death threat. Really? Yeah. So it's more that kind of consequences, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I'm thinking of the famous case. I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he was involved in investigating government corruption, and in 2017, he was a victim of an acid attack. So I, I guess. Omunir. Yes. Yeah. So I guess if you make a big enough scene or if you aggravate the wrong type of person, it could become a problem. Yeah. And I think three years ago, I have this gathering. So I have this female collectives in Indonesia, like pretty, like 40, all female collectives. And we have this, our annual gathering in Jakarta and we get raid. Really? We buy this Islamic Organizations, uh, they called themselves this Islamic. So, not the police? The police were there. What? Did they take stuff? And whoa, isn't that scary for you? So, that's more the kind of consequences. Yeah. You know what I mean? Being. It's, it's, that's supposed to make you afraid, right? Because then they think after that, you're going to stop meeting and stop putting out content. And, yeah. And it's interesting that the whole um, accusation and the whole context that they put us is always like, you are spreading bad message, bad influence. Yeah. You are bringing these people, these teenagers into this value that against Indonesians kind of value or religions kind of value. Mm. That's the most... Mm, about single accusations that we keep receiving like from that project into another project and that so we keep having that wow um we've been going for a while i have a few more things if, if, if sure, that's sure, okay sure, sure. and uh, so, honestly thank you for being so honest and, and candid about all this yeah so i think if we if we talk about the danger or the threat yeah. I think the most obvious is actually the threat. The threat that we feel here, either as an activist, as an artist. Uh, if we talk about freedom of expression, a uh, friend of mine um, almost, almost, um, 
my friends a couple of years ago have this uh, performance. I mean, she created this performance and uh, then uh, apparently it's become really popular on social media. It become, you know, and then it creating a controversy around it and she almost go to jail for that. Really? I think the society now has become that way in here. Before, there is no such a censor involvement and judging in, if we talk about freedom of expression or we talk about art or we talk about whatever the artist would like to convey with through their art. Now it's easy, I think. It's very easy for public to get, how do I call it? To misunderstand mm. and to totally refuse the conversation and the discussion about it. They quickly just like, oh, this statue showing a woman with that kind of clothes. We should take it out, take yeah. that down. So they did. Wow. So that's exactly what happened. That never happened before 10 years ago, but that's exactly what happened everywhere. Are, are you fearful then of the trajectory? Like, are you thinking like, like how far does this go? The, the, this sort of strengthening of conservatism and maybe uh, right politics or something like that if is the way to label it. Say that again. Um, so if you, if, you, if you see these things increasing, if you see um, the censorship, the clothing, mm. uh, is there an end game for that? Like, did, are you fearful of... Because it seems like with those things, it's sort of a suppression of individuality, uh, perhaps even civil rights. Um, do you see it going like way too far? Is, is there an end to how... F how conservative things will become? Hmm. Because like in the States, like one of the things that people are so uncertain of is like, how far will Donald Trump go? Right? Like he's talking all this crazy stuff. He's talking about a wall, which would be really bad. I just read yesterday and, and I, I don't even know what to trust anymore, but that Donald Trump asked, it came out that he had asked Spain if they could like build a wall in the Sahara, which is not even within their political <laughs> jurisdiction or anything. And it's like, those things seem so crazy, but some people question like, does America get to that point? Do we get that bad? Um, so are, are you fearful of that? Are, are, they, are, are more individual rights going to be suppressed? If you're looking to put on something about sexual assault survivors in an exhibition in the future, is that going to be shut down before like... Do you ever think about that? All the time. Mm. Now it becomes something that we mostly think before. We don't think about that side mm. at all. But now everything requires like extra precautions and, yeah. you know, and I think it's very difficult also to, to rely on helps and support for party that we thought they're supposed to support and protect us and uh, mean, right because most of the cases are there there they don't do anything because they're part of it yeah you know what i mean right yeah and, and, so, and it's the same so for us sorry it's always about now is the strategy the strategy to not get direct attack from them mm. how to be 
so that we can still convey our message, we can still do our expressions or whatever. But how to be like very careful also at the same time not to be getting to their radar mm. and then being noticed and then they're going to come and try to shut you down because that's what happened now. And that's like very quick. And um, we even, there are several topics which are with, with, with like red alert kind of topics really? in whatever kind of topics that you're going to conduct your events. What are those? Uh, communism. Mm. LGBTQI. Uh, and 65. But everything now, it's also t- for me and some of my friends said, it's this whole political. Yeah. Because we're going to have uh, this new election. Oh, that's right. Next year. Yes. So we're all pretty much prepared for things getting worse. Worse. But at the same time, we also think that we shouldn't be stopped. We still have to keep doing what we're doing. I think to me personally, one of the things that I'm trying also to tell people is actually something more like this. Uh... Doing something or more like activism in day-to-day life. You know what I mean? I think I do. Yeah, because but it's so difficult to 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 apply here. To just as simple as to, to try to try to people, you have to speak up. Yeah. You have to tell the truth. You just have to Small, tell it. smaller wins every exactly. day. Exactly. Yeah. But it's just so because this whole fear, right? The, the whole fear that they create, right? In everything that we do, it's getting really strong day by day, right? It makes it puts us in a positions of if I want to do this, I have to anticipate that. If I want to do that, I have to know that who's going to protect me if that shit happens. So now it becomes that way. It's, oh. yeah. it's, it's really interesting, man. Like you, I was looking at your your Instagram account and you had been part of an exhibition that. Um, artists, at the very least, so essentially the, the country is going to have two nuclear power plants. Um, and at the very least, it's like, maybe have a, like we should have a public discourse about this because this is a country that has a lot of earthquakes, uh, is in the tsunami zone, and this is a technology that if it goes bad, it goes very bad. But also, like that's tied into business, which is often tied into government, and that's like you're gonna get noticed talking about that, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like this, this is important, and that is why the art is important. And it's not necessarily just art for art's sake, but it's a reflection of life and politics and the future of the country. And these are important conversations that need to happen. Exactly right. And I'm, I'm like, and um, and one of the things I think, what I found. I have this project called Word for Women in 2015. So I'm pretty much uh, moving from one place to another, having this free collage workshop for people when I ask them, what is one word that when you heard that word, it quickly reminds you of a woman? For you, that word is a divine woman. I do that for a year, from December 2015 to December 2016. I collect almost like 300, 300 collages oh. in five cities, Jakarta, Jogja, Bogor, Bali, 
where else? But Bandung, and it's interesting that through the project, it's an earth. It's it's it shows me that how actually women being represented by our daily language in Indonesia. The insights and the findings, it's totally blew my mind. It's like I would never even thought when I initiate this project in 2015. Well, what kinds of stuff was coming up? Um, some of the stories that I heard will be this traumatic story. Let's say this one woman experienced when somebody said a word to her it's in the past, but it's really hurting her at that time. Okay. It never leave her. It's just in the back of her mind after all these years. She never told anybody about it. But when she joined my workshop, that word pop up. Like a slur or something like that? Like a It's more like, it, it's, it's interesting that sometimes the word itself is not negative. It's not a negative word. Uh. But when that word being thrown at her with a particular intonation and intention... Yeah. Then she get offended, like okay. really offended. It really hurt her at the time. Okay. Or the moment where a daughter being called out by the mother, she still remember the word, the way how her mother called her her appearance. Actually, she criticized the way she dressed, and it's interesting that those kind of stories actually during the workshops is actually out, and all the like some people what will apparently will do like a self-digging moment of themselves mm. talking about the word that still like the way they see it define themselves as a woman because these workshops are open for men and um, oh really yeah for men also men and women um, 18 up so the participants are from 18 years old to 65 years old The first time I did it is in Melbourne in 2015 during an art residency in Melbourne. Then I came, came back to Jakarta. I, I decided to... I'm so impressed with the results when I did it in Melbourne in 2015 because I would never thought that it will show lots of stories, a simple of the history of women in one area or in one... Let's say, for example, one of the word is cow. Really? One of the words that used to thrown at that woman is a cow. You're a cow. That means unattractive? You're feeding baby with milk. Oh. And you're stupid. Okay. Like a cow and you're slow. Ah. Uh, so. I see. So it's that kind of story. I would never thought there is such a word for women, right? Until I do that project. Mm-hmm. So there's so many, so many great insights and stories behind that project that I've realized also the most important thing is actually from that project is people will be much more willing to open up yeah. and honest about their opinion and, and stories and knowledge and whatever if we question them that way. What I'm saying is, through that art, through that art making session that I did, I think I gather the kind of information and stories and insight from people that I don't think I will be able to do that if I directly ask them yeah. verbally, right? So what do you think of one word that divine women in your daily life? There's no way that I'm going to get all those stories or to get all this new perspective on how 
apparently, we in Indonesia, we are very good and creative and creating words for women in a negative context, especially sexual. We always have new words for that every three months, six months, that we then put that in our daily conversations as part of the trend, like trendy kind of language and words. But that happened. And when I do the research on the uh, Bahasa Indonesia Dictionary, some of the words are actually then being really? admitted by the government and put in the dictionary. Do you think that that sort of self-hate um, comes from just, you know, conditioning from just years of sort of that, like, conservative culture that we were talking about? Does it, Like, why would women be saying those things to other women? Or why would, uh, let's say, why would we as, a, we as a society always approve those words for women and always came up with something new and apply to our conversations and we don't do that to men, for example? Or why is it talking and calling uh, another, uh, calling a woman a uh, young whore is also a call that you used to calling your girlfriend if you're the boyfriend? Okay. You know what I mean, right? Yeah. I, I, you know. Yeah. In, so I'm, I'm from that project. I'm. That's interesting. It, it takes me to that level of understanding. Also, how that's how, actually, if we talk about how, uh, language representations of daily conversations now we have in Indonesia, especially to women, actually we are that. How do I call it? I don't know what the word for it, but it's also. Uh, impressed me or amazed me on how many words being used uh, or how many words being twist yeah uh, just to be used to de- to describe women in a certain certain position in a society in a so- in a sexual context yeah part of that's global like the the version of whore, obviously, that's like used in music in the states, is like bitch, um, or, but something that I think, yeah, it, it's an interesting thing here. I, I'm not going to give a lot of details on this, but um, I have a lot of friends from here. I have people that I'm close with from here, um, and somebody saw me, it innocently just saw me uh, with uh, an Indonesian woman, and someone said to her, "Well, what are you a prostitute? Because you're hanging out with a bule." And yeah. It's like. What? Yeah. How do you jump from like seeing two people like walking together to like she's a prostitute man? Like, you know, so yeah, that's awful. Um, (laughs) I don't like how does that change? How does. hmm. I'm sorry to like make you (laughs) try to answer like that very. Uh, yeah, but I think uh, through that project, actually, it's also interesting to see how the men then, uh, during the whole one year of running the project, also get three times uh, opportunities to showcase the project, especially this one moment when I showcase at the Plaza Indonesia, that mall, on the third floor, so I showcase this 150 words of the words. Mm. And it's interesting how to see the men when they read it, and they're like, Ika, I would never thought that women 
we'll see that way. Like we'll think that that's way, what, we feel that way. That's amazing. That's Which an is, amazing that's good. idea. I think that's yeah. exactly what we've been trying to tell you. And it's good that you, in a way, have these realizations and, you know, uh, realize that when you throw a word, a simple word to somebody, when you think that once you throw that word to somebody, that's, that means your work is done, actually you're not. You don't know what that person feel about that one particular word that you throw at them. You're actually responsible for whatever the person feelings about it. But do you talk about it? Do you ask that person? No, you don't. You just feel like it's a very trendy word. I could just throw it at any time and to anybody I want. Yeah. Right? Actually, it's not. Some of them are very, some of them are very negative and very bad connotation. You might have to be very careful about it. Just because the rest of your friends using it, that doesn't mean it's accepted. You know, you have to be very sensitive, I think, and have an empathy and question yourself first before you just quickly use that word just because it's trendy, I said. Yeah. So that's one of the things that also came out from that project. But at the same time, interestingly, then after that, I start to get um, invitation to have a similar workshop, but for, for topics that people would feel very difficult to have a conversation with. Verbally, for example, I get the I get this uh, requirement to have a similar collage workshop, with with the theme, human rights, or corruption. Because these organizations feel t- when they learn about the project, they just found out that you're right, Ika. People are will be much more willing to talk about honestly their opinion and their feelings and their whatever because they've been asking doing it by making art mm. not being asked verbally what do you think we understand i understand that we most people of course have a problem being opinionated just like tell tell directly what you guys think about with the feel of might sound stupid might sounds wrong or whatever so apparently when we're doing it through art making they're much more relaxed yeah. and they just tell the truth or whatever they feel or what they think about it. They don't care because it's art making. There's no right or wrong. There's no bad or good or just art. So since then, I've been doing several other workshops with themes such as indigenous women, disability, corruption, uh, women's worker, and other heavy topics. Yeah. Because those organizations that I that require me to do so is actually they would like to hear public opinion about those topics that they feel that when they try to conduct the conversation directly, that doesn't work. Because people either tend to be very shy or very quiet or tend to be like just being very diplomatic instead of tell the truth about their opinion and their feelings about those topics. So yeah, I think what's also great is the findings of actually through art making this whole conversations regarding heavy topics that actually very important topics to talk about exactly. in our daily life actually we could initiate the true art that's beautiful I'm so glad I did that <laughs> I'm so glad I did that project and the last one that I did a couple of in, during the house of the unsilence is this uh, uh, the workshop with the theme gender violence it's a private workshop with some of my queer friends wow. So it's amazing. So it's like amazing conversations that we actually talk about. So I would like to know how they feel. 
being queer in Jakarta and this gender violence that experience. So they make the art and they make the story about it. And they make the, so we have a discussion about it. Wow. <laughs> okay, I'm headed to Setia Budi okay. soon. Okay. How can um, how can listeners find you? Find out about some of these amazing exhibits you've been talking about. <laughs> like, where on the internet can they find you? Instagram. Instagram. Okay. <laughs> What's your handle there? Uh, Fantiani. Okay. Yeah. And um, I, I have. Will... Oh yeah, I have. I have a f- Facebook page, Her Finger Power. Okay. That's where I put most of my works. Also there. Um, and anything that I brought up in terms of exhibits can be found on your Instagram. Yes, so absolutely. People can check the show notes for this episode to to find those links. Mm-hmm. I want to say like doing this just little podcast has really opened up doors for me. Um, and this is something that I think is really beautiful. Like you talked about um, just having a conversation and listening to somebody. I I look like someone from Trump's America. I am a blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white American, um, and I think just looking at me, you wouldn't think that you and I sitting down would have many commonalities if you're someone just judging a book by its cover. Um, but I've been able to have access into different worlds and cultures and get, get, get to meet people like you, and it's, it's a wonderful, beautiful thing I get to do through this podcast. So, uh, makasih mba. Uh, <laughs> I'm so glad, Thank you so actually. much. I said yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, Thank God from Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody, check out Ika's stuff. And uh, again, thanks so much. Thank you so much, Tim. All right, that's it. Episode 77. Thank you to Ika for doing this episode with me. Thank you to you, Voyagers. Everybody who listens in, I've got some really cool ones coming up. I'm not going to discuss them yet, but i got a couple of organizations who are letting me come by their place next week to record some episodes about more things that are going on here in Indonesia. As always, thank you for listening. If you can support monetarily, that would be amazing. I have a Patreon account. That's patreon.com slash thevoyagesoftimvetter. That link is in the show notes for this episode. That's a subscription-based service where you can give monthly, 50 cents, $1, $5, $100. And that will go into continuing the podcast and putting more conversations out into the podcasting ether. If you cannot support financially, I totally get that, trust me. Uh, but you still want to support somehow, you can do so by leaving a five-star rating or review and review on iTunes or on the podcast application that you listen to most often. Okay, Voyagers, as always, take care of each other. Bye-bye.